we're going to see in today's study how important it is. Matthew 21, look at verse 1. You guys got your Bibles there? Matthew 21. It says, Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt and laid their clothes on him and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Here it is. Others cut down branches from the trees. John chapter 12, verse 3 says they use palm branches, okay? So they cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Here we have really the presentation of the king. If you can visualize Jesus coming into Jerusalem on the donkey, um, they're waving palm branches. They're laying some of them on the ground. They're actually taking off their coats, if you can visualize that, or their, their robes, their cloaks, whatever, and they're putting it down on the road. Think about that. Those of you who have jackets today, you know, taking off your jackets, for some of you it's or whatever, your identity, and you're laying it down on, on the road for the king, so to speak, to, to travel on, right? And so that's not the, the visual you get. And basically what we find, you guys, is that this day had been prophesied in the Old Testament, Zechariah chapter 9, um, Psalm 118. We're going to go to these uh, verses. Um, uh, Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. This day had been prophesied that, that, that the Messiah would come on a donkey and he would present himself to the people. And it was then that they had to make a decision of whether or not they would receive him, not just as a, a political uh, uh, ruler, but as the king of kings, as their Lord and their savior. Not just the, the leader who would you know, rule the world, but the leader who would rule your life. See, Jesus comes the first time on a donkey. He comes very humbly. The second time he comes, in Revelation 19, he's coming on, on what? a white horse, and he's coming to judge. So the first time he comes, he comes in humility, and he basically offers himself to us and to me. And, and the way that I visualize it, you guys, is like in my heart, there's a throne. In my heart, there's a throne. And the question is, does King Jesus sit on that throne? Does King Jesus sit on the throne of your life? Does he rule your life? Is he really your, your Lord, your, your king? Not only that, when I, when, I, when I visualize, so to speak, Jesus there, I want to make sure that he's wearing that crown. 
you know, and, and so we're going to see this is a huge thing, this day, this donkey, this declaration, and this uh, decision. You know, John chapter 12, verse 13 says they took branches of palm trees and they, and they went out uh, to meet him. And, and you might wonder, well, why uh, palm trees? Well, in, in Jewish tradition, the palm branch was a symbol of joy, beauty, prosperity, but especially victory. Song of Solomon chapter 7, verse 7 mentions the palm branch, or Psalm 92, verse 12, other places in the Bible. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 40, God commands the people to take branches of beautiful trees. It says branches of palm trees and rejoice before the Lord for seven days because it was an expression of celebration on what was considered to be a very holy day in that case it was the feast of tabernacles and so you read through the old testament for example in first kings chapter six and seven you'll find that the palm trees are everywhere used in the decor of solomon's glorious temple and if you're to go to israel today you'll see palm trees everywhere it's just beautiful to see and so palm trees past palm trees present and then palm trees future revelation chapter seven in verses nine and ten it says, after these things I looked, John said, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Now, can you understand what's going on here? This is us in heaven, okay? Nations, tribes, tongues, people, this is us in heaven, standing before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with phones in their hands. No, I'm just joking. No, what do we have in our hands out of all the things in the whole world that you can think of? What do we have in our hands? We will have palm branches in our hands, symbolizing beauty, joy, and victory. That's what we're going to have. This is what this day, in one sense, is all about. And we're going to be there, it says, crying out with a loud voice, saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. See, it's a scene in heaven where we will declare the victory of Jesus. You know, most of us would refer to this day as Palm Sunday, uh, others might refer to it as what's known as the triumphal entry of Christ. It's an interesting thing, you know, because in those days, the Roman culture, the only way they would allow a Roman general or soldier to be, uh, uh, you know, with, with these type of adulations, uh, they would call it a, a triumphal entry into town, is if the Roman general had killed 5,000 soldiers, at least 5,000 now he can have the triumphal entry. Now, to us, it's, it's, it's like the opposite. Interesting thing, when Jesus does you know, die and rise again, and then eventually you see the gospel being preached in the book of Acts, it was only a matter of weeks before 5,000 were saved. So the triumphal entry for Jesus is the opposite of them. They were like 5,000 dead. We're like 5,000 alive. God gives victory. God gives life. And this is what, in one sense, this day is all about. You know, how he's going to go in to Jerusalem with his face set like flint. He's going to go to the cross. He's going to die for us. He's going to rise again. 
And in that process, he's going to save us. So this is right here, though, is a, is a huge day because this is where on Palm Sunday, the Lord presents himself to the people. And if I could just say this today, he presents himself to you. You know, some of you guys here, man, I thank God that you are in right relationship with the Lord. But some of you guys, maybe you're not. Maybe you're not in right relationship with God. This is your day. This is your opportunity. You know, why in the world would you not want to follow Jesus? He loves you. He knows what's best for you. He died for you. You know, you got that heart of yours. Is the Lord sitting on the throne of your heart? Because let me ask you a question. You got plans for your life. Are your plans better than his plans? No. I, I pray that today you would take advantage of Palm Sunday and that you would choose to accept him as, as the king. And, and the thing that we have to know about this is that, you know, all these people were getting excited. Oh, the king is coming, Hosanna, which means save now. I pray save now. But they were not really interested in salvation from their sins. They were interested in salvation from their situations. And so, you know, yeah, they're hoping, man. They're thinking, okay, Christ is going to come in and he's going to go punch Pilate in the face. Or Christ is going to come in, he's going to go unseat Caesar. Or Christ is going to come in, he's going to redeem us from these Romans. Christ is going to come in as, you know, take care of my situation. No, that's not why he came the first time. He came to save us from our sins. And I know life is hard. I understand that. But if that's all we got to salvation from our sins, then that's more than we deserve. And that's all that we need. Because when we get the salvation from our sins, we get our Savior. We get him. And he is sufficient for us. So don't be like these people, fickle people. You know, they're, oh, no, it's not a political thing. Oh, it's not, an, it's not a now thing. It's not like fixing my situation thing. No, no, it's, it's saving you from your sins. And this is why this day is so important. Not only that, saving you from your sins means not only saving you from the penalty of sin, but it means saving you from the power of sin. You know, before I was a Christian, you know, the drugs, the alcohol, whatever it is that came with that type of package that I had no power over, now I have power over that. And I can be, and I'm trying to be, you can actually be free to be a godly man and a godly woman. This is what God gives to us. So four words, I'm going to test you guys on it later to see if you remember them. They're not complicated words, just the donkey, the day, the declaration and the decision. You know, Jesus now comes to Bethphage. It's about two and a half miles from Jerusalem. He sends two of his disciples into the next village. They bring him his transportation. That's what he tells them. Get my transportation. We don't know who it was, but two of the guys went in and they got the donkey and they brought him to them or brought them the donkey and the cold of the full of the donkey to him. And so a couple of quick uh, side notes. This is just side issues, you guys, that I just see when I, when I read this. It's interesting to me that Jesus didn't own a donkey or any mode of transportation. Is there anyone here who doesn't have a car? No, I'm just joking. I won't ask you that. You know, but sometimes people might think, oh, I don't even own a car. Hey, neither did Jesus. 
He had no mode of transportation. As a matter of fact, we don't really read anywhere in the Bible that he possessed any personal property other than his clothing. He didn't even have a place to rest his head, the Bible says. According to Luke 9, 57 through 58, he would stay at friend's house. Basically, what we find apparently, Jesus traveled light. He borrowed a donkey when he needed transportation. He Later, when he needed an illustration, he had to borrow a denarius. And then when he died, he had to borrow a grave. And so he didn't have a lot. And I have to remind myself, beware, Manny, of the worship of ownership. He didn't own a lot. He didn't own a lot. There's, there's a reason the word chase is, the word, is in the word purchase, because... You know, one of the distractions in life is all the stuff that we can accumulate. Again, not that we can't own anything, you guys. Just be careful. Uh, sometimes it's more right to travel light. Jesus didn't own a donkey. He didn't have that. He didn't own much. He had to borrow one. Uh, another interesting thing here, uh, again, just as a side note, is just the way that Jesus was able to see supernaturally exactly where the cult was. He knew its geography. He knew its history, according to Luke 19.30, knowing that no one had ever ridden that donkey. He saw into the future. He knew all the details, most minute details, everything in advance, exactly what they would say, what they would need to say in response to them. And I don't know, just in light of that reality, what the Lord is challenging me and is, Manny, do you realize that Jesus knows everything in advance and so you should listen to him? Listen to him because listen to his word, listen to his Holy Spirit, listen to his still small voice because these things are, are so cool. If we're ever to advance in life, we need to speak to the one or listen to the one who knows everything in advance. He knows everything about every single day of our life. He knows uh, where he wants to send us, when to send us, what we're supposed to say, what they'll say. And so all I'm trying to say is let's take advantage of that advantage that we have. This right here, again, not the main point, but, you know, real side notes. You're like, hey, man, the Lord had to borrow a, a donkey. That's interesting. I got a, a, a tree fall down in my backyard and I'm not going to spend, you know, $400 on a chainsaw. So this guy says, hey, I'll do it for you for $200. I said, dude, get out of town. I'm going to pay $200 to cut it down. So I'll rent one at Home Depot. But the next thing you know, my bro, he finds out what's going on. He says, I'll, I'll, I'll lend you the chainsaw. I'm like, yes, Lord, I'm with you. I can't afford it. a chainsaw. It's like he couldn't afford a donkey. We, we, can't, we, doesn't, we don't have to own everything. You know, the Lord is the one who provides. Right here we see things, we listen, even in these little side note issues. And so God says, I need a donkey, I got to borrow one. You might wonder why. Was he getting tired? Were his ankles bothering him? Is that what it was? You know, recently we went to Petra, and I remember when we first started, we're going down the, you know, the, the, the place, and they're, they're offering us donkey rides. If I would have known it was 10 miles, I probably would have gone on a donkey. <laughs> but you know, um, th was that why Jesus wanted a donkey? No, of course we know that's not why, right? It says there in verse 4, it says, All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. 
The reason was, is because it was in fulfillment of Scripture. In Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, written 500 years before Jesus was even born, it was this what God was saying would happen, that their Messiah, their King would come to them. Think about it, on a donkey. You see, number one, it was to fulfill prophecy, but number two, it was to show his humility. Because not only was it a sign to see, but it was also this humility that God wanted to show us not only who he is, but how he is. When you think of God, when you think of God, let me ask you a question. Do you think he's prideful? Is he overbearing? I mean, he's awesome. And he's God. He's all-powerful. But one of the things about the Lord that trips me out, man, is that he's humble. You know, tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you lowly. You know, you're thinking, well, he's cruising in on a low rider or something, right? That's what it is. But no, it's a, it's a word that speaks of the fact that he's poor, humble, and meek. In the Greek language, it's one who is mild and gentle in spirit. And so, you know, even though God is so awesome in this approach, we see how humble he is. And you might wonder, well, why is he humble? Because of the fact that he wants us to be able to know that he's approachable. You know, he came as a baby, a kid, a blue-collar carpenter, a humble teacher, preacher, uh, you know, a healer, not drawing attention to himself, but it was something that could not be hidden. He was just a lover. And so he comes in, and when it's time to just give that presentation, he comes in, um, it's a good fit, on a donkey. And that's why Jesus said, you know, in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I, I wonder, seriously, you guys, I wonder if you would be honest for a moment. Is your life like that? Do you find rest? Do you have rest for your souls? Sometimes I find myself not like in that space, man. I got so many things that the world or whatever people are trying to say, you should be doing that. And, you know, can you do this? And the next thing you know, it's a hundred things. And, you know, probably I get most pressure from myself. You know, hey, Manny, you got to line up and you got to take care of this. And there's, a again, another million things I have to do. And whatever the world has their, you know, expectations. And so you can just go through life and there's no rest. There's no rest. And that's why the Lord says, come to me and I'll give you rest. It's not going to be through works. It's not going to be through religion. It's going to be through you. You have to go to Jesus. He's the one that died for you, rose again. I mean, coming to church is really cool, but you guys will be... You will be disillusioned. You will be disappointed. You're going to leave here and you're going to say, man, that really wasn't helpful because you just came to church. You didn't come to Jesus. See, this is why we're here. This is, he is who it's all about. If you come to Jesus, you will leave saved. If you come to Jesus and you give him all your, all your, your burdens, all the craziness that's going on in your life, you give him all your sins. He'll take care of you. And then he'll say, take my yoke upon you, Manny, and learn from me. And so now I try to go live my life 
with his expectations. And then, you know, it's so cool because what he does is he just carries it for me. You know, why did Jesus come on a donkey? Well, it was to fulfill prophecy, but it was also because he was demonstrating humility. And I don't know if you've ever met someone, you're like, man, I can't even approach them because they're just so like, whatever, you know, famous. So they got bodyguards all around them or they're just, you just can't touch them. You can't go near them. But when it comes to God, God says, I'm going to be right there in the middle of you, almost unrecognizable. I'll be the lowest one so that whoever you are, you can come to me. Come to me with all your sins. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking, man, I better get out of here soon because like the roof is going to fall because I'm such a horrible person or sinner or whatever. And God says, you're the one that I, I'm, I'm trying the hardest to reach. I love you. I died for you. My blood will wash away your sins, but you have to come to him. He's presenting himself to you for like this, for this reason, fulfilling the prophecy, demonstrating humility, and then offering serenity. That, that's the third reason. The, the, the serenity is defined as a state of being calm, peaceful, and untroubled. And in the Hebrew culture, whenever a king rode in on a donkey, it meant that he was coming in peace. And so we see, for example, in 1 Kings one thirty three, when David chose the next king to succeed him, in order to make his will publicly and peacefully known, he had his son Solomon ride through town on a donkey. And so God just says, hey, I'm coming in peace, man. Um, you know, you can almost visualize him or whatever like that, you know. Not, he's not seated on a stallion. His choice wasn't a chariot. You know, he's coming on a donkey, and I want to give you peace. If you're not a Christian, if you're not a Christian, then the Bible says you've made yourself an enemy of God. But when you give your heart to Christ, believe on the Lord Jesus who loves you, died for you, rose again, just believe on him. The moment that you do, then you make peace with God. Romans 5.1, it says that. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the peace with God will eventually lead to the peace of God, the Bible says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. So Jesus on a donkey communicates so much to us, prophecy, humility, serenity, and that transportation is really his presentation. And so can I just ask you a question today? I can I ask you a question. Who sits on the throne of your heart? Do you? Yeah, I'm the captain of my own ship. I call the shots. I do what I want to do. My encouragement to you is to, is to let Jesus sit there. He knows what's best. He died for you on a cross. And you can know for sure that when you die, you'll go to heaven. But you have to give your life to Christ. You have to. The Bible says, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So when I did, I remember the day that I gave my life to Christ. I didn't know a whole lot. To be honest, you might be here and you're like, well, I don't know a whole lot. Well, do you know this, that you're a sinner? Have you, have you ever sinned? Have you ever lied? You're like, no, I've never lied. That, you're a liar right there. Just, <laughs> if we have sinned, we fall short of the glory of God. Do you know you're a sinner? Then you, you should know you need a Savior. When I gave my life to Christ, think about this. God came into my life. 
He wrote my name in the book of life and he washed away all my sins. I cannot even begin to imagine why someone would say no to him. Why would you say no to a free gift of salvation? Today is the day of salvation. I pray, give your life to Christ. Here we see it's not only the donkey, but then secondly is the day. Now this is interesting, you guys. I know some of you are already thinking about what you're going to eat after service. I already I know that. <laughs> See, I, 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 I know how that is, you guys. And some of you guys are thinking, I don't know if the Lakers play today or whatever, Dodgers, I mean, you name it. Please, out of the whole, the history of my life, as Rocky would say, the history of my life, okay, um, listen to this. Because this day was prophesied in the Old Testament, the, the, the very day that Jesus rode into a, a, a Jerusalem, not just that he would ride in on a donkey, Zechariah 9, 9 and, and Genesis 49, 10, and 11 also mentions that, but the very day was determined. Because all the other days, it's interesting, up to this point in the ministry of Jesus, he had never purposely drawn attention to himself. He never formally presenting himself, you know, like to the public as the Messiah, the Christ. Uh, For the most part, he was always low-key, even going the extra mile not to be known. For example, when he healed the leper in Matthew 8, 4, Jesus said to them, tell nobody, see that you tell no one that I healed you. In the region of Decapolis, Jesus healed a man who was deaf and mute. And then we read in Mark 7, 36, he commanded them that they should tell no one. Imagine that. You heal somebody who couldn't hear, who couldn't speak, tell nobody. In Mark chapter 9, verse 9, after they saw Jesus in the Shekinah glory, it says they came down from the mountain. He commanded them that they should tell no one the things they had seen till the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And then in Caesarea Philippi, when Peter came straight out and identified Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God, Mark chapter 8, verse 30 says, Jesus strictly warned them that they should tell no one about him. Why? For those of you guys who are thinking, you're you got to be wondering, why in the world would he not want them to tell them who he was? Isn't that the very reason why he came? You know, he's the Christ, the anointed prophet, priest, and king. I mean, he's God in the flesh. I mean, he's the savior of the world. Why wouldn't he want them to tell them yet. And, and the answer is because it wasn't the day. It wasn't the day. This day was determined in the scriptures. And so we read Matthew 21. Look again at verse 6. So the disciples went, did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey, the colt, laid their clothes on them, set him on them. Very great multitude, this massive crowd, spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And then the multitudes who went before and those who followed, they cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. I mean, you just can visualize the scene. Hopefully you're using your imagination. You can visualize them. Jesus coming through. This is the day. Go get the donkey. You know, come and bring it to me. I'm going to come from the Mount of Olives. It's a two and a half mile journey from this point forward. 
And all these people, Josephus tells us there's 3 million people in Jerusalem at that time. We're talking thousands of people are lining the roads. They're camping there. And this whole ruckus is taking place. They are quoting from Psalm 118, which is a messianic psalm. I mean, he is clearly identifying himself this day as the Christ. You know, you guys probably know, right, the longest psalm in the Bible is what? Psalm 119. If you didn't know that, you're in trouble. Okay, Um, I'm just joking. Psalm 119, the longest psalm in the Bible. Psalm 118, 118 is probably the loudest psalm in the Bible. Um, Watch, turn there if you would. Psalm 118. All the rabbis knew that this was a messianic psalm. You know, something else interesting, this is just, uh, you know, random stuff, but uh, some of the rabbis actually taught that the, the donkey that the Messiah would ride on in Zechariah chapter 9, that they actually, some of them taught that that was the donkey that was created on the sixth day in Genesis chapter 1. They identified it as the same donkey that Abraham rode on to sacrifice his son Isaac. They identified it as the same donkey that Moses rode on. And so, I don't know, just an interesting thing how sometimes these rabbis get these things. I mean, very special donkey in their eyes, Zechariah chapter 9, purely messianic. And same thing right here in Psalm 118. Uh, Look what it says in verse 22. It says, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Now, they all knew this is a messianic psalm, and in their psalm, in their messianic psalm, it predicted ahead of time that the builders would reject him and that that stone would become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and is marvelous in our eyes. And here's, look look at verse 24. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Now, most of us here, when we think of this verse, we're like, hey, that's for every day, right? This is the day the Lord has made. We rejoice and be glad in it. Yeah, in a, in a, in a practical sense, perhaps, but not contextually speaking, because that, that verse right there is in reference to Palm Sunday. This is the day the Lord has made. Look what he says next. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray. Send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. This is what they're saying over in this triumphal entry of Jesus as he's going down you know, the, the, into Jerusalem. They're saying Hosanna, which is the same thing. It's a transliteration of the Hebrew. You know, Save now, Lord. Save us now, we pray. Save us now. This is what they're saying. They're quoting Psalm 118. They're identifying him as the Messiah. This is the day. And like I said, they were thinking, Jesus didn't come down and punch Pilate in the face, unseat Caesar, and redeem them from Rome. But they were quoting from Psalm 118. This is the day. It's an amazing thing when you look at this day that Jesus has. Later on in Luke 19.42, he tells them, if you had known, even especially you, in this, your day, the things that make for your peace. See, what I hope we know, you guys, what I hope we know is Palm Sunday was a day that was etched in history. We're going to see in the book of Daniel, chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, in which God had predicted, check this out, you guys, 
173,880 days before it happened. Like, what if I told you, you know, in 69 seven-year periods from today, you know, this is going to happen. I mean, and, and, I, and I did it to the T. That's what we see in the scriptures. The, the, the verse I want you to turn to next is over in Daniel chapter 9. In verse 24, Daniel chapter 9, in verse 24, it says 70 weeks, or literally 70 sevens, are determined for your people. Now, the angel is speaking to Daniel. So when he says, for your people, he's speaking to the Jews, about the Jews. So 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city, speaking of Jerusalem, Interesting, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in, this is interesting, everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. So verse 24 is like a summary of, you guys, when it all happens you know, we see what's going on in the world today, in Russia, in, in China. I mean, the potential collapse of the dollar and the banking system and everything that happened recently with this pestilence or COVID or whatever you want to call it. We see what's going on in Israel and even the unrest there, the alliance between Iran and, and Russia and the war that's going on. And it's just like everything is pointing to exactly what the scriptures say. And right here, we look at this, and he's just telling Daniel, 69 seven-year periods, 70 weeks, are determined for your people, basically to wrap everything up, and so that King Jesus would come and rule. And so um, it's interesting when you look at this, because look what he says next in verse 25, know therefore and understand. Okay, can I just pause there for a moment? That means that God wants you to know this. God wants you to understand this. Because some of you guys are already tuning me out. You're like, man, I have no idea what he's talking about. And I just, I just got to get out of here. Some of you are thinking these things, right? No, listen, know, therefore, and understand, here it is, that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem, you can read about that in Nehemiah 2, March 14th, 445 B.C., from that day until Messiah, the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. That's seven plus 62 is 69. So 69 seven-year periods, 173,880 days. From March 14th, 445 B.C., you travel forward 173,880 days. It takes you to April 6th, 32 AD, the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the donkey. To the day God predicted it here until Messiah the Prince comes. And look what happens. It says the street shall be rebuilt again and the wall even in troublesome times. And after the 62 weeks, notice it says Messiah shall be cut off. To be cut off means he's going to be murdered. 
It was there in their Old Testament scriptures. See, they were looking for the descendant of David to come and set up his kingdom immediately, the political prosperity that he would rule then. Just like, you know, if you think about the context of the Passover, which is where Jesus is coming in. Now, well, that was when he, you know, God saved us out of Egypt. So now God's going to save us out of Rome. But no, when you read the prophecy, it says he's going to be cut off. He's going to be murdered. They should have been able to see it, but preconceived ideas will mess up your vision. And so it says, Messiah shall be cut off. It even says here, but not for himself. Because Jesus didn't die for himself. He died for you. He died for me. He died for our sins. And so it says right here, and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city. That would be the Romans leveling Jerusalem and the sanctuary, that's the temple that was there in Jerusalem. And the end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war, desolations are determined. And so right here where it says the people of the prince who is to come, that's in reference to the Antichrist who would rise up. And so now we know he's going to come out of the revived Roman Empire, which today is the European community. And so that's 69 of the seven 70 weeks. There's one more seven-year period left. And he talks about that next. He says, Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate. Even until the consummation, again, that's everything gets finished up, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. And so the way that you see it in, in, in history is you've got the 69 seven-year periods. Jesus dies. Um, what we find now is there's a gap, and we have the church period, and then there's one more left. When we get raptured up, God begins again to focus on the Jews. And the, well, by the way, they're, they're, everything's getting set up because they're back in the land now. And what we see right here is God is telling us, hey, this was actually prophesied to the very day. You know, the 70th, when you look at this, the 70 years of Daniel tells us the very day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. You know, one of the fascinating things about this is that on that Sunday before the Passover, the Jewish tradition was to select the Passover lamb. You read Exodus chapter 12 and verse 3 talks about how they would choose the lamb. This was the day for them to choose their Messiah who would eventually be their Passover lamb, not the political ruler of the land, at least not yet. And so the uh, question is, did they? Did they? And the answer, of course, we know ultimately is no. Because you have the donkey, you have the day, you have the declaration there again, back in Matthew chapter 21, in verse 9, it says, Then the multitudes who went before, those who followed out, cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. That was their declaration. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. But of course, we know that their declaration was superficial. When I was sharing with my wife, kind of like the four words for today, I said, okay, babe, these are the words. So the, word, the first word is donkey. And so that donkey is in reference to prophecy and, uh, and humility and serenity. And then there's the day. 
This day is so amazing, 173,880 days to the very day. And then I, I told her, there's the declaration. I have all these uh, uh, physical movements to help me remember things, right? There's a declaration. And then I told her this, there's a decision. There's a decision. But then I, afterwards, I had to correct myself. I said, babe, you know what? It's not a decision here. It's a decision here. Here's where I have to point to. Because there might be some of you guys here where, yeah, if I were to tell you to write on a piece of paper, do you believe in Jesus? Yes. And on a piece of paper, you would say yes. But in your heart, it's different. And my encouragement to you is to let the decision be here in your heart. Like I said earlier, God wants to bless you. God wants to save you. God loves you. Man, don't believe the lie. How, how dumb is a lie that would say we're here by accident? You're a product of random chance. You're a product of evolution. I mean, it takes more faith in that than it would be to believe in a God who created us. Uh, I think a person who believes in evolution is the same person that says, hey, there was an explosion in a, in a print shop and out comes a dictionary. Or there was an explosion in a junkyard and out comes a 747 plane or something like that. Absolutely not. You know, we have a creator who made us. He's moral, he's righteous, he's loving, he's holy. We've sinned and separated ourselves from God, but he does not want us to die in our sins, so he loved us. He sent his son Jesus to die for us. He rose again. We're going to celebrate that on Easter Sunday. And all you have to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The wages of sin is death. Don't say you weren't warned. But the gift of God is eternal life. Man, I pray you would receive that gift if you haven't already. Because this last decision, the one that we receive him from our heart, is the one that's most important. These same people who were saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, later on they would say, crucify him, crucify him, right? They hated him just as much as they would then eventually share these words. One, one last verse I want you guys to turn to in Luke chapter 19. Luke actually gives us a little bit of insight we don't see in this, in Matthew. It says in Luke 19, verse 41, as he drew near, this is again, uh, the triumphal entry, Palm Sunday, as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this, your day, the things that make for your peace. Hey, this is your day. You know, I mean, if I were you, I would circle that, your day, underline it or something. Man, Jesus said, if, if only you would have known this is your day, this day, man, we can have peace, right? But he says, now they are hidden from your eyes and the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, close you in on every side. I mean, when you, when you look at this, Jesus wept. The Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So we see here Jesus weeping over the fact that he knew, generally speaking, they would not accept him. And so today, on Palm Sunday, you know, if, if you're here 
and you have never accepted the Lord, I pray that today you would. You know, I remember when I got saved, the day that I got saved, I didn't really understand a whole lot of what the pastor was saying. I didn't understand a whole lot. I just knew that I needed Jesus. And if that's you today, you know you need Jesus, then today you just believe on him. Today you say yes. Today pray to ask him into your heart. Place your faith in him. If you're not a Christian already, um, for those of you who are, maybe some of you have drifted away from the Lord. And as we go into Holy Week, this is a great time to start again. Lord, um, capture my heart. Um, for those of us who are, you know, whatever, we're committed Christians, maybe we need to recommit our lives to the Lord. I do know this. It's a great opportunity, man, um, for us to just say, yes, I realize as a pastor, I'm, I'm in the same place as you guys. I realize that on my throne, on my heart, there's a throne. And I don't want to sit there anymore. I want Jesus to be my king. I want Jesus to be crowned as the king of my life. And as a church, I pray that's what you would want as well. And he'll help you, man. He'll help you with, you know, the thoughts that you think even. Those had to be surrendered or the words that you speak, the decisions that you make. He'll help you even in who you are because he's so good and he loves you and he's so patient. 